Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do we feel like this is like gonna be a good episode? Like, do we feel like, like we isn't a good enough? episode? No, not a good episode. <laughs> it's fine. I, there's no reason for this to be a good episode. everyone and welcome back to monster donut a literary and historical deep dive into the percy jackson series and all of its following spin-offs i'm phoebe a dramaturg and story consultant i'm emily a classic scholar ish and today we're reading two short stories that will take us from the percy jackson series into the heroes of olympus series the singer of apollo and the staff of hermes the singer of apollo coming from a book called Guys Read. And, I thought it was Boys uh, Read. No, I looked it up. It's Guys Read. Oh. <laughs> and the other is from The Demigod Diaries. These are actually two fairly similar stories that take place like within a month of each other. Within a month of the end of The Last Olympian, too. Yeah, if you because we read them in an order that made sense to me, which was just based on I feel like Grover's birthday would also be in a summery month. <laughs> one story we know takes place exactly one month after The Last Olympian. But then the other one is kind of vague. All we know is like it's Grover's birthday and it's nice enough out that he can still sit in the park. But like yeah. that's that's it. It could be any time before or after that, but we read it before. Does Annabeth reference like going away to San Francisco in The Lost Hero? Not that I remember. Yeah, the reason she's not at Grover's birthday party is because she's in San Francisco. So it's either she 
right after the last Olympian was like off to San Francisco or I don't know. I <laughs> anyway, I'm assuming people haven't read Guys Read. So <laughs> a quick summary of the plot in case you haven't read this short story. Percy is in Prospect Park celebrating Grover's birthday when Apollo appears and tells them that one of his musical automatons has gone missing and tonight is his big concert on Olympus and he can't perform without her. And these automatons can influence people through their songs so Percy and Grover have to track her down before she sings in front of the mortals. They track her down in Times Square, they get into some hijinks, eventually they, they catch her in a birdcage. Bring her back. That's kind of it. That's It's a very simple short story. <laughs> so this was uh, your first time reading this short story. So what were your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, it was fun. I don't really have that many thoughts on this story. Like I was sitting here thinking about it and I was like, what's the theme? And then I was like, come only coming up with joke themes. Or like, it's about following your dreams. Or really, if you think about it, the short story is about Phoebe following her dreams to go see the Jonas Brothers on Broadway. Mm. Well, we can start with my first note, which is there in Prospect Park, which I was just at today. I went for a run there. Yeah, I hadn't been back to Prospect Park in a while. And so it was nice to read this short story with it fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. That's true. We, We also went on a walk around Prospect Park recently. And it was right before I went to the exact same place where the short story takes place on oh, Times Square. you reenacted it. <laughs> I took this exact journey just the other day to see the Jonas Brothers. I'm just going to keep bringing up the fact that I saw the Jonas Brothers twice last week. <laughs> Why does it call them Chrissy Caledones? Why are you using the Latin endings? Um, <laughs> do you want to explain who these are in mythology? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I didn't know what these were, so I did actually have to look them up. Apparently, at Delphi, there's a legend uh, that there were five different temples to Apollo built at different times. And the third of those temples was apparently entirely made of bronze and, uh, by according to legend, made by Hephaestus. And carved into the ceiling of that temple were these images of these Chrysaei Caledones, which are, Chrysaei just means golden, Caledones just means singer. Um, were these like golden singers for Apollo. And we get this story and this account from this guy named Pausanias. He was basically like one of the original travel writers. He kind of took it upon himself. He, he was a Greek writer living under the Roman Empire in Roman times around the second century AD. And he went around and he uh, basically wrote a lot of accounts about like you know, all these different really interesting, cool, like historical sites all over Greece to get people to like go there and to kind of like memorialize them. And what's actually also really fun is we have like all of his texts. So when archaeologists frequently are digging at new sites that he wrote about, they actually uh, use his texts to try and figure out what everything is when they're first digging and to try to figure out where to dig. That being said, that is also the reason why every once in a while the archaeologist digging somewhere will realize that Pausanias is a liar and never went to certain sites. And Mm -hmm. one of those sites is Delphi. (laughs) Which is where I think also, because Rick mentions that the Celadons are apparently, their 2,000 year warranty is just, just up. 
And in my head, I was like, 2,000 years old. So they were built in like the turn of the, you know, the zero zero ish, which doesn't make any sense to me. But it does make sense if you're dating when Pausanias wrote about it to when they were created, which apparently I, I read something about how people think Pausanias also like fully cribbed the description of them and like how they work with the like siren voices and stuff from just like the description of the sirens in Homer. Hmm. Like, apparently the Greek is pretty similar. So. <laughs> um, anyway, so there are these golden singers. Uh, oh, there was one note that I made about Apollo asking for their help yeah. that I came up with after reading the second story, which is how much faith he puts in demigods that I don't see a lot of from the other gods. Because, like, we've only mm. had a little bit of Apollo in the Titan's Curse where he's like focused on finding his sister and is like helping Percy's quest despite being told not to get involved. He still has like plenty of lines in this scene that are him being like, oh, the demigods are just there to do our, our bidding, basically. <laughs> demigods are, are just there to be tools. So it's not like he has like a better idea of them, but he actually has genuine faith in like their abilities half the time that like the other gods are just kind of it's kind of almost a last resort the fact that mm. they have to use mortals while apollo seems more confident that like percy can and will do these things for him he knows what they're capable of in a way that the other gods don't seem to acknowledge but he also like he gives grover his lyre which is yeah. like a very big show of that's true faith in them he's like hey don't scratch it i was like no other god is gonna give you like their symbol of of power like one of their mm -hmm. symbols of power to do a quest for them i feel like he always appears and also acts like the youngest of all the gods like of all the male gods at least because mm -hmm. he does seem like to be the most open to like other things you know he kind of is always bopping around all over the place and like seems up on what's hip or whatever <laughs> clearly not because he's wearing skinny jeans and ray-bans <laughs> So they they take this quest from Apollo and head up to Times Square. I don't think we have anything to say before that, do we? <laughs> no. And once they get to Times Square, Percy puts wax in his ears so that he won't be able to hear the yeah. whatever it's called. Apparently he's just carrying it around now. Is that what he says? I couldn't remember <laughs> where he got the wax from. I was just like, sure. It's like him or Grover is in their pockets. They're just like, I started carrying this around ever since I encountered the sirens. And it's like... Oh, Grover had given me a ball of warm wax to stuff in my ears whenever necessary. <laughs> he said he always kept some handy, like chewing gum. Why? Grover wasn't even there. Why does Grover keep a ball of warm wax in his pocket? Maybe it was like all for a bit. Like he was about to do something really funny. Oh my God. Wait, hold on. There's a joke here. Maybe he was planning this a bit less literally, but he was able to wax poetic. Okay. <laughs> so they get to Times Square and they see a bunch of people setting up a stage, like an outdoor stage in Times Square, which does happen. But what doesn't happen <laughs> is Broadway musical previews. Like he assumes that it, it, it's horror. Like they set up like a Broadway preview or something. <laughs> Percy <laughs> clearly knows nothing about Broadway. Imagine if they did Broadway <laughs> previews just in Honestly. the middle of Times Square. <laughs> But what I actually want to talk about in this scene. <laughs> so there's a crowd in Times Square because, of course, there is. Yeah. And the way that Percy chooses to try and get them out of Times Square before the automaton can sing anything. 
I'm just going to keep calling her that. I don't remember what they're called. Crisea Kelladones. Oh, right. And Percy jokes that they're called like Chrissy Kelly's or something. Yeah. We'll call her Chrissy Kelly. Um, so Chrissy Kelly is <laughs> headed for the <laughs> microphone. And so Percy goes up to one of the police officers that's standing around and tells him that a presidential motorcade is coming through and then tries to use the mist to convince the guy that a motorcade is actually coming through and it works. So this this comes out of nowhere. This is <laughs> <laughs> well, what's kind of fun, right, is he his thought process here is kind of interesting because he's basically thinking, like, what could I reasonably make them believe? And then he just kind of tries to, like, believe really hard, right? And Grover is, like, also doing the same thing with the liar. Like, again, no instructions, just vibes. And make whatever you want to appear appear. This is why, again, I joked following your dreams about making your dreams a reality it's about it's about a scrappy little uh kid named percy jackson making his broadway debut <laughs> <laughs> but as far as i remember um this is the only time that percy uses the mist like ever yeah. <laughs> like he could have i guess learned how to do it at camp in the last month but it almost seems like he hasn't been at camp in the last month like annabeth hasn't been around because she's been in san francisco so it seems like after the last Olympian, they were all like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough camp for the summer, I think. <laughs> we're burnt out. Let's just all chill. Um, so I, it doesn't seem like he actually learned how to do this. It seems like he just assumes this is how you do it and yeah. is right. <laughs> well, he's like watched Thalia do it before. He didn't even snap his fingers, though. That's how she did Yeah, you'd think he'd like try to do it the way that she did. Mm. I can't snap, so I just did this with no sound. You can't snap? <laughs> no. You just... <laughs> See, that's what people say. <laughs> nothing's happening. I don't, I don't know how to do it. Okay, well, as riveting as this segment's been. <laughs> this is as close as I can get, if you can hear this. That, that's close. You said It's really not. I can't believe, but your D&D character name is Snap. She's a Kenku, which means she can't make humans. She has to imitate the sounds her name is snap crackle pop she's imitating the sound of rice krispies not snapping <laughs> okay so she sings <laughs> chrissy kelly sings into the microphone it affects everyone in times square everyone like breaks down crying because she sings a sad song and then she sings a song about it getting hot after percy and grover come after her and suddenly everyone's like I have a theory about this. I think it's like the Phaethon story, which is the story that Apollo kind of reenacts with Thalia a little bit, where um, basically it's like one of his sons shows up and like wants to drive the chariot of the sun and Apollo's like, okay, but like, be careful. You could kill everybody if, you know, it goes wrong and it goes horribly wrong. And I think Zeus kills him with a thunderbolt. Sad oh, okay. <laughs> so you think the heat is based on that story? Yeah. I mean, what other songs about Apollo involve heat? Okay, it's also uh, during this scene where Percy and Grover go after her that we get that quote where, where Grover is playing the liar, trying to summon something to help them. And Percy says, thanks to the empathy link, I caught flashes of Grover's thoughts. He was singing about walls trying to summon a box around the Keladon, which... I enjoyed uh, getting a little bit more clarity on the empathy link just because I think we've known 
that Grover can read Percy really clearly, but it's been sort of unclear how much of Grover Percy's getting through the empathy link, like how much of a two-way yeah. street it is. So I that was something that came up a couple times in this short story was Percy being able to read not just Grover's emotions, but like some of the things that he was thinking about or, or talking about. He's able to like read them as well. He doesn't feel them. In like Sea of Monsters and the rest of the books, does Percy ever like feel what Grover feels besides in the dreams? I'm asking because it does kind of answer our question of like when Percy was holding up the sky, was Grover also feeling it? Or was he just looking over like, oh, Percy's in a lot of pain. <laughs> Oh, like, are they actually feeling the other person's emotions mm-hmm. or are they just aware of them? Yeah. I always assumed they kind of felt them and that was how they were aware of them. Yeah, but it's like, do you feel the fear inside them or do you feel it as your own is more my question. Mm. You know what? I have an answer for this, but it's all the way in the burning maze, but I don't think it's like that bad <laughs> to spoil this. In the burning maze, Grover says sometimes he'll randomly get a craving for blueberry waffles or like blueberry pancakes, and he'll he'll know that it's because Percy is craving blueberry pancakes, which tells you that it's a shared emotion <laughs> or a shared thought rather than a separate thing. Like you can feel it yourself because he says that he craves blueberry pancakes. Okay. <laughs> I think that's like the most minor spoiler. That was a I can devastating give. spoiler. Um... <laughs> Well, I mean, it's kind of a spoiler because this was such a question in the fandom for the longest time because the empathy link didn't come Mm. up for books, like for a whole series and a half. And then it was finally brought back just so that Grover could be like, sometimes I crave blueberry wall or blueberry pancakes. But uh, anyway, I, I just really liked getting to know how much Percy could feel of Grover through the empathy link because we kind of get how much of Percy Grover can feel. Uh... The wax melts out of Percy's ears. His this shirt starts burning off. This is two for two in these short stories. Percy's clothes get burnt off, and it actually both of, both of these times it brought it made me wonder if the bless the, sorry the curse of Achilles does that protect you from fire? Because it seems like he like isn't gonna die, but like he's definitely getting roasted, and I wonder. If- You'd think if like the small of your back ends up getting yeah if the fire like if touches it spot, yeah. Okay, let's get out of this one moment. <laughs> so Percy pulls out Riptide and threatens her, and she turns into a bird. Right, she flies to the top of like the highest billboard in uh, Times Square. Square. Percy tries to surprise attack her while she's singing and ends up getting thrown off of the roof. Ends up hanging off of one of the billboards. With his pants off, which is the first line of the short story, which I will say is probably one of Rick's best opening lines <laughs> there's this moment where percy's hanging there and then she starts to sing specifically to him this whole time she's been singing for just the crowds in Times square mm-hmm. but this time she sings specifically to him about letting go and he starts he it actually starts getting to him but what gets him to keep holding on is that he remembers watching annabeth trying to deal with the sirens and so he's able to break through the spell thanks to annabeth again Mm-hmm. Saving the day, even though she's not even here. Yeah. <laughs> Look at her go. I, he, the thing is, if he fell, he probably wouldn't die. It would actually be a very interesting science experiment that would prove once and for all whether or not Luke had done the sticks thing before or after Titan's curse. Right, if it would break your body or if you'd bounce. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think 
it is a fun little callback, I think, that, like, now, in a way, she's kind of saved him from a siren the way he saved her from them, especially because these particular monsters in Greek mythology are definitely close to the sirens in the way they work. Right. And then once Percy breaks out of it, he comes up with a plan because he can't reach Riptide at this point because his pants are still at the top of this billboard. Yeah. Oh, this does actually um, answer the question of if Percy doesn't have pants. Riptide stays in, I guess, the last pair of pants he wore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then he uses the empathy link to try to convey the plan to Grover, too. Right. He comes up with this plan. He's going to ask Chrissy Kelly if he can get her autograph. She, he yells up to Grover like, hey, Grover, uh, do you have a pen and some paper? Like, I, I really want to get her autograph. And I loved how quickly Grover caught onto this. And I didn't know if I should thank the empathy link because it's such a specific thought to try and yeah. convey through like just emotions. And I just I liked that it showed how quick on his feet Grover can be because you don't really think of Grover as being like that kind of person. But he like immediately catches on and is like, oh, isn't there a pen in your jeans? And he's able to cater to her where he's basically like, well, I want your autograph. That's all I he's able to, you know, manipulate her. Yeah, this is one of those stories where it's all it's all manipulation rather than fighting, because obviously the fighting doesn't go very well when he tries it. And the next one's kind of the the other short story is kind of that also, but it's mainly uh, yeah. <laughs> it's mainly an Annabeth plan. It's manipulation with the side of um, Annabeth using a yeah. brain. So they manage to uh, trick the Chrissy Kelly and get her into the cage, and then they head back to the Empire State Building to bring her back to Apollo. He's very excited and says he'll take her back to Hephaestus to get her fixed. And I was like. The, the treatment of these, like, beings that seem to have some kind of wants and dreams and probably should have some kind of autonomy. And it's like, oh, no, she, you know, it's very, like, do robots have emotions? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, let's tap dance around the an answering that question. <laughs> but, I mean, if you think about it, really, this is all just a metaphor for how Percy thinks he's free to go pursue his dreams. And yet he's stopped and caged by a god. It's a fable. <laughs> and the moral of this fable is guys read. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like a such a such a dude story, you know? It's just really yeah. it's for the guys, just, this one. It's for the guys. For sure. You know. I didn't really get this one, but maybe <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the guys reading had more to say about this. That's literally it. I have, like, nothing to say about this one. <laughs> my bead for this one is enchiladas. What about what's your bead? I think my bead is just a bird in a cage. Okay, uh, a summary of the next one. Percy is in the park again, but this time at Central Park with Annabeth on their one-month anniversary when Hermes appears and tells them that his staff has been stolen by the giant Caucus. And he doesn't want the other gods to know that he lost it, so he wants them to get it for him. The story is basically them finding the giant down in the sewers beneath the high line, bringing him up to the surface and like killing him with a crane or something. <laughs> <laughs> Getting the staff back. Yeah, they get the staff back. They bring it back to Hermes. Hermes hints that there's something going on. Yeah, he drops some hints that the second series is coming and then gives them like a little trip to Paris as thanks for their one month anniversary. Do you have anything to say before Hermes shows up? I have a general thought that kind of applies to the whole story, 
which is that this is our first glimpse of Percy and Annabeth as a couple rather than as a whatever they were for five years it's funny because they throughout the story it's like they still are sticking with all of the arguing and insults but like Mm -hmm. all of them are taken in stride without like all that anger or like weirdness underneath so it's just them like insulting each other and being like okay (laughs) yeah i think that's real like it's like the tension's gone where they're like no i know you like me right i don't have to worry about the fact that you're insulting me right now (laughs) I think it's also in these first couple pages that she says, like, oh, it's the one-month anniversary of our first kiss. And I was like, actually, the your first kiss was over a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was funny that she doesn't think of Mount St. Helens as their first kiss, even though she did kiss him. <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe she only considers it because she's like, this is the only time that he has wanted to kiss me. <laughs> yeah, maybe she's thinking about it that way. Okay, well, then Hermes shows up. And again with the dating in this, because Percy remarks, it's like a throwaway line where he's like, he's looking pretty good for being 5,000 years old. And again, the nerd in me is like, 5,000 years old? Because that dates him back to like 3,000 BC. And this took me down a rabbit hole, or if you will, a snake hole. Okay, because when you read about the Hermes staff turning people to stone, I was like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I was like, what? And then I tried to find a myth where that happened. And as far as I can tell, that's not a thing. In the story of Argus, Hermes is supposed to go and put Argus to sleep. And he does it by using a magic wand to magically close all of his eyes. And so there's a thought that the staff of Hermes can like awaken people who are asleep or put people to sleep magically. That's, like, the power it has in mythology. But there is something interesting that emerged out of this exploration for me. The caduceus apparently originates, we think, this is a theory, it's not 100% confirmed, but we think it actually comes from, I think I mentioned before, a Sumerian god, who was actually the god of the underworld and, like, messengers, and also, like, the god of snakes. It was... All of these little, like, Hermes things. To the point that a lot of people apparently theorize that Hermes might actually be a god that is borrowed from Sumerian mythology. We actually also have a theory that Aphrodite is similarly borrowed um, from their goddess Ishtar. That version of Hermes, specifically that, like, one that comes from the Sumerian god of death, is considered to be what we call a chthonic god, which basically means that they come from under the earth. And I think that's where he gets that from. Hmm. Why is Rick researching Chthonic gods coming from the earth? Hmm. But I do think it's kind because of, again, I'm approaching this almost anthropologically. And it is interesting to me that it seem Rick seems to be like actually dating them. And he seems to be also kind of confirming and like in his world, at least this idea that the Greek gods are not inherently Greek, because if Hermes is, a, is 5,000 years old, he's coming from the Sumerian and, and the staff is like an earth thing. And it's like all speaking to like these Sumerian origins. Then that means in this series, the Greek gods were not the beginning of the West. Uh-huh. Or rather, the West was not the beginning of the Greek gods. So Percy decides to go over to see what Hermes wants and brings Annabeth with him. And Hermes clearly has something against Annabeth, specifically because of Luke, which like coming out of 
the last Olympian. I don't know. By the end, I felt like he had kind of figured it out, you know, with that conversation yeah. with Percy that was like nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was strange to me that he was still so like rude to her. Like, I, I understand yeah. still being kind of like standoffish with Annabeth. But like the way he's just like calling her girl through the whole thing. He was just being yeah. so mean. I was like, there's no reason to be this rude. <laughs> yeah. And then also, like, Percy has that weird line where he was like, and then Luke fell in love with I know. I was like, I wrote I gross with a bunch of exclamation points. <laughs> I just want you to know. This is what I meant when I said that, like, I know what that scene in The Last Olympian, but it's like so, it's clearly not thought through. Luke finishes. How old is Luke in The Last Olympian? I used to know off the top of my head. He was, he's 23. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't track for, like, no. any of their relationship up to that point. It feels so, like, out of nowhere that I'm, it's like, it's gross. It's just Rick being stupid. <laughs> he, there's no way. There's no way. Unless he is terrible. But he's, like, not that brand of terrible. No. He's, like... He's terrible in other ways, but it just makes no, like, it comes out of nowhere. He's banging an Ampusa, like, the whole time. He's right? Got, he's like, got... <laughs> we know this. Like, Luke is on his own, like, dark paranormal romance journey. <laughs> like... <laughs> yep. And it turns out the staff was stolen by this guy, Kakus. The audiobook narrator pronounced it Kakus, and I was like, I mean, that's how I just pronounced it. So. I, how is that spelled? Well, they, like, make the mistake of saying, like, Secaucus. Yeah, later. that was a funny joke. <laughs> so I, I was like, well, it must be Caucus then. So his name actually comes from the Greek word kakos, which means, it just means bad, like evil. And he's apparently a big old thief, a small giant who breathes fire, son of Hephaestus. And he apparently also stole Apollo's cows once. We also find out that he used to cap- camp out around the Capitoline Hill in the caves. And for those who don't know, um, Cap- the Capitoline Hill is one of the seven hills of Rome. So yeah, this guy is Roman. There is no reference to him in Greek mythology. So Yeah, I had actually, I think, heard of this guy. Because really? I, I studied abroad in Rome, if we haven't mentioned that. And I think he was mentioned because, you know, everyone's always on the hill. That's where the Forum is, right? Yeah. So apparently in the myths... His encounter with Hercules, Hercules had taken the cows of Apollo from Geryon, and then Kakus saw him with his little cows and was like, I'm going to steal some of these. And he apparently in mythology did the same trick Hermes did when he stole the cows originally, which is that Hermes walked the cows backwards so it looked like their tracks were going in the opposite direction and did a bunch of other stuff as well to like throw people off the scent. And apparently uh, Kakos sort of did that, but like dragged them backwards and like wasn't quite as clever, which is why in the story, Hermes is like, Ugh, he, he wasn't, didn't, didn't have the style I had. Anyway, that's all to say, um, this guy is a small giant. He breathes fire and he's, his name is bad. He's the bad man. Right. So Hermes asks them to go hunt this guy down by 5 p.m. So a very similar setup to the first short story, which I think reading right after The Last Olympian, I liked having that glimpse at like the state of Olympus and Olympus's relationship to demigods after that deal was made. Mm. 
Just because I I was thinking, will I be able to see what's changed? If anything has changed since they like made that deal with Percy, but it seems like no. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the gods' idea of like the the demigods as tools that they can use hasn't really changed, despite the fact that they just saved them all, which is. I, I liked having that right before Heroes of Olympus because that, especially for Percy, is uh, something that I will be focusing on. So they go to the meatpacking district and a kind of like newly dug out subway tunnel. And that's where the giant has been hanging out with a bunch of stolen fake designer clothes <laughs> and bags. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what he was going for there. Like, he's wearing like a red robe and like Valentine's boxers. I was like... Did Rick just, like, watch The Sopranos? Like, what? Because he is Italian. I liked the this story and the one before had this moment of, like, Percy trying to outwit the creature that he's been told to hunt down. Yep. Percy, when he realizes the giant thinks that they might be customers, he's like, yes, we're definitely <laughs> customers. <laughs> Show me your wares. Um, but that doesn't work out as soon as he asks for the actual staff. At which point... He decides that he's going to try and, like, use his reputation to scare the monster, which I thought was fun. <laughs> it's the first time that I think we've seen him putting his reputation to use that I can remember. He, I don't, there he was might the moment in Stolen Chariot. Well, no, that wasn't him putting it to use, though. That was, like, him realizing he has one. Yeah, like, we had him realizing he had a reputation, but I don't know if we've had him be like, I'm Percy Jackson and, like, expect his name to make an impact. It's neat to see him having the hope that people are starting to tell his story and like trying to use that to scare the giant. It reminds me a bit of the, the I laughed out loud at this joke. Kakus is saying like, oh yeah, I fought Hercules. <laughs> and they're just like, Hercules again. This guy's been everywhere. <laughs> uh, Annabeth says, well, he had a great publicist. <laughs> it was just seeing like Percy trying to use his... Uh, reputation back to back with like that moment of like oh well Hercules is everywhere. <laughs> I think I mentioned before as well like how Hercules is kind of a catch-all for a lot of like what I suspect for probably local like myths and legends. He's kind of like the archetypical hero and the origin of his name is the same like word for hero. I made a note of one thing that I thought that, like stood out to me which is that like Kakos can't speak to the snakes like he can't talk to George and Martha but Percy can. My headcanon became that he's Roman, so they're speaking, uh, he doesn't speak Greek. <laughs> yeah, they're speaking Greek. That makes sense. <laughs> he says, I'm like, quavos semi dios. Uh, that's Latin. If, if it was mm. Greek, it would have been quavos demi theoi. It's interesting that, like, there's no acknowledgement from, like, the gods or from the demigods that they're fighting Roman creatures, too. But they have, like, the Roman stuff really started kicking up in Battle of the Labyrinth. I think I even flagged that in our episode. And it's yeah. kind of been ramping up. Yeah, I mean that it's it's been ramping up and, like, no one's saying anything about it. Yeah. Like, no one's saying, isn't that strange <laughs> that we are Greek and there are Roman myths walking around? The fact that this is truly just a, a, a fully Roman guy. It's yeah, just like... a fully Roman guy. Then, like, they reference Janus, too. Weird, they reference Janus. Like, again, very, he's a Roman god. That's He does not have a Greek equivalent. So, to get them out of the sewer, Percy, like, brings down all of the water that's in the sewer down on them. <laughs> and it brings them up back to the surface. And 
The giant follows them up there onto the high line where another fight plays out. And I have no notes on anything <laughs> past this point. <laughs> I just wrote Percy's on his manipulation bullshit again. Yeah, so Annabeth's plan at this point is that she is really good at crane games. Like those. Yeah. Like she's really good at winning Percy the stuffed animals, I guess. <laughs> And so she decides that she's going to jump into the literal, like, actual crane that's up there helping construct the new park up in the High Line and use that to catch the giant. And Percy's whole role in this is to distract the giant. Yeah. Feels a little reminiscent of the stolen chariot. Yeah. Of, like, Percy, go distract and I will do everything else, which Percy's pretty good at because he can just, like talk anyone into being angry <laughs> which that's what he does here is he just like insults him over and over <laughs> yeah does he do anything else let me check i thought it was fun as well that annabeth's like using the crane because in the like hercules story he like squeezes the life out of this guy as per usual and if it's i thought it was funny that like annabeth was using a crane to kind of do the same thing <laughs> okay uh the way that they beat this guy actually it's not by crushing him to death with the crane it's, it's by annabeth swinging the crane arm back and forth until he is like at the top of his arc and then she lets him go so that he flies into the hudson and then percy has george and martha go into like laser uh, mode and then he just like shoots him <laughs> with a in like midair and like i which is like just like the Hercules myth in a way. <laughs> Wait, then how do they get the staff back? Oh no, he's already got the staff. Never mind. Yeah, they get it from him in the fight. I don't actually remember how, but they get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, the end of the story is basically they they meet Hermes back at Rockefeller Center and give him back the uh, staff and tell him that oh uh there's that important moment that we totally skipped over where the giant is saying it wasn't his idea to steal the staff it was someone else who told him to do it mm -hmm. because if he got rid of hermes he would be able to disrupt communication as mm -hmm. like a first move against olympus and so we don't know what that is yet but at the very end of this story when they tell hermes that he says Oh, he wanted to cut the gods' communication lines. Like, that's ironic considering Zeus has been threatening, dot, 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 and then never finishes that thought. So, we get this hint of Zeus is clearly unhappy about something and is threatening mm -hmm. something. <laughs> so, like, something is going on on Olympus at this point. Something that might have to do with communication? Like, I mean, the implication here is that he's threatening to cut off communication because it's he says like oh that's ironic considering zeus is threatening and then like obviously the end of that sentence is going to be something like threatening the same thing that this giant was doing i just reading that line and then being like oh let me reframe everything that like both apollo and hermes are doing in these two two short stories it gave a little bit of extra like you know apollo is worried about doing this concert in front of the gods Hermes is worried about the other gods finding out that he is lo has lost something. Like, it's not just... It, it adds this extra, like, maybe it's not just them being totally, like, in their own heads. Like, maybe there's a reason that they are both so... Like, I need this done right, right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's something going on up there that we don't know about yet. Interesting. 
Right. But the end of the story is as a reward for helping them, Hermes agrees to help Percy do something special for his and Annabeth's anniversary. And so he sends them to a fancy place in Paris to have like a little dinner and, you know, just have fun in Paris. I think they went to Paris Disneyland after this. Uh (laughs) Well, actually, hang on. Okay, so it's 5 p.m. New York, which means that it's like, is it like 11 at night when he sends them over there? Okay, I just double checked and they can't have gone to Paris Disneyland, unfortunately, because it says that Hermes is teleporting them back at midnight. He sent them there at 11 and then was like, I'll pick you up at midnight. Like, he gave them an hour to eat. <laughs> Had, like, a he nice restaurant. At least given them a little bit longer. Like, that that feels... I just think that was kind of rude of him. To send them somewhere to get dinner at 11 when, like... I know people say that the Europeans eat late, but, like, not that late. <laughs> it depends where you are. I definitely, when I was... Cause I studied abroad in Greece. <laughs> Wait, you studied abroad in Italy. They absolutely ate dinner that late over there. No. I would try to get, there were multiple times I tried to get dinner after 10 and they were like, there were only serving drinks right now. Hmm. I feel like like they stay open pretty late, but like most dinner service, especially like fancier restaurants is definitely going to be over by like before midnight. But they also, at the end of the story, Annabeth wants to like take a walk along the river. Yeah. She wants to see the Inception Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> like the last line is, I want to explore Paris with a beautiful girl. And it's like, you don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> She's definitely going to want to go to the Louvre, Percy. You're not going to get in there. Maybe he means midnight the next day. (laughs) Mm. And Annabeth, I love architecture chase, was like, let's go to Disneyland Paris and not... Well, Percy was like, (laughs) let's go to Disneyland Paris. (laughs) We're not going to go to Saint-Sulpice. We're not going to go to Notre Dame. We're we're... not... I mean, that was was me going to Paris. No, no, no. No gothic cathedrals with flying buttresses to look at. No, No. sir. I'm going to Phantom Manor. Do you have a bead for this one? I mean, I guess my, well, that's a boring answer, but it's like the Caduceus. But it's like specifically this like seal, the Sumerian seal of the Caduceus, which you can find, which is how we know it like was a thing. My bead will be a, a crane arm. Either that or the same as yours, but it's in... Uh, laser mode. <laughs> yeah, I think he describes it as turning into a bazooka when it goes into laser mode. So it'll it'll just be like a bazooka, but with that symbol on it. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to Monster Donut. <laughs> Next time, we will finally be getting into the Heroes of Olympus series with the lost hero along with a special guest yeah I'm, I'm excited to reread the lost hero i haven't reread it in a very long time but i'm excited like to see my my friends it's been a, it's been a while since i've read the lost hero i'm not gonna lie though i think i am most excited for son of Me- neptune yeah i mean son of neptune is my favorite book of the second series really yeah but i i there are definitely some scenes in the lost hero that are standout scenes to me i'm gonna see jason I'm going to cry through the Jason parts. <laughs> Why would you cry? I just love Jason so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to post art from this episode on our Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. So if you haven't already, you should follow us there at PJOPod. I wanted you to draw something from the first one, and I can't remember what it is. Well, you can submit an official commission request. <laughs> 
that's it. See, see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>